Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Stevens Creek. How you feeling? Well, it's good to see y'all in the room this morning. Um, and if I sound a little funny, no, uh, Barry White did not come and um, to preach to you this morning. Augusta's love language to me is allergies, and so I love her right back. But um, so I sound a little funny today. I spent a year and change avoiding the Rona, and allergies made sure to still get me. So it's a good day to be here. Before we get started, can we celebrate our South Augusta campus who are joining us um, via video and our video venue? We are so glad. Uh, We love y'all. We are one church in uh, multiple locations. Yeah, I'm speaking it. And it's just a great day to be here. Um, We're starting a new series today um, about passages that inspire us. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 15, starting at the 28th verse. Luke chapter 15. And a little context, we are jumping in the middle of a very familiar story, the prodigal son. Um, The son who was lost had come back home, and the older brother has found out about it, and this is where we pick up in the story. It says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to talk to you for a few moments on clarity on who God is, clarity on the Father's heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share your words. I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, y'all, I want you to go on a trip with me back to my fourth grade year. It was the spring of fourth grade year, just a few weeks ago, right? Uh, It was the spring of my fourth grade year, and it was a wonderful time. I was anticipating summer. I was anticipating getting released from school and enjoying summer. Uh, When I was growing up, that was still back when you played outside. I know that's foreign today, but um, we went outside to play, and we had all the time in the world, and I was just anticipating summer. But right before summer, uh, the school had this auditorium or this assembly uh, for the D.A.R.E. experience. How many of y'all remember D.A.R.E.? It was, I just learned today that it was drug abuse resistance education. I thought it was something completely different. But the D.A.R.E. program came in and they began to talk to us about things we should avoid during the summertime. And one of them was drinking and driving. They were adamant that this was wrong. You do not want to drink and drive. So I I took that message to heart. I embraced it. They told us about the consequences of drinking and driving. 
Fast forward a few weeks, and me and my dad were in the car on the way up to Springfield, Massachusetts to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he opens up a Jamaican pineapple soda in the car, and he begins to drink. Y'all, I start panicking because I learned that drinking and driving is wrong, and I know the consequences. They're going to take my daddy to jail. I'm going to be on the side of the road, and I'm not going to get to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Daddy, you got to stop drinking and driving. I start panicking in the back of the seat, and I start yelling, Dad, you got to stop. That's illegal. The cops are going to get you. My father puts two and two together and starts laughing. He doesn't even respond to me at first. He starts laughing, and and I'm panicking. I'm crying, and finally he says, Son, it's not pineapple soda. It's alcoholic drinking and driving that can get you in trouble. Pineapple soda is safe. And here's what I realized is that I knew the story, but I didn't understand the context. I knew the rules, but I didn't know how to apply them. I needed clarity. My brothers and sisters, all of us have situations that show up in our lives where we need a little bit of clarity. Maybe it's when you had the group project, uh, you needed some clarity on who was responsible for what. Maybe it was when your parents said that you don't need to stay out too late. You needed some clarity on how late is too late. Uh, Or or maybe it was at the group dinner that y'all all all went to and the check comes and y'all trying to figure out how we going to split this check. We need some clarity on that, especially because I only had water. And, and, And those of you, after a few dates, you want some clarity on your intentions and the other person's intentions and every person in here who wants to ring by spring say amen. I I need to know where we are going. Here's the reality. Clarity brings understanding. And when I have clarity, I can understand what's going on. Our biblical passage today is all about clarity. If I could zoom out for a moment and take Luke 15 in its entire context, this passage is about clarity. The Pharisees needed clarity on who Jesus was and what his mission was. You see, Jesus was causing the Pharisees to lose their mind up in here. They were so frustrated in uh, what he was doing and how he was going about things. In verse 1 of Luke chapter 15, it says that the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near, and they were so confused because how could this holy man uh, hang out with these rough riders? How could this clean one hang out and uh, co-mingle with these dirty ones? They couldn't understand how Jesus was doing what he was doing. They, They needed some clarity. And Jesus, being the gracious God that he was, recognizes their need and begins to tell three stories in order to clear up the discrepancies in what they didn't understand. He tells three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, also known as the prodigal son. And in the parable of the lost sheep, it is the same message in all three parables. The sheep was lost. The sheep, uh, the shepherd goes after the sheep to find them, and when the sheep is found, he takes them home and he celebrates with others. The coin was lost. The woman sweeps the house to find it, and when it is found, she gathers those in her neighborhood to celebrate it. The prodigal son was lost. 
And when he is found, they gather people together and celebrate it. Here's the message that Jesus was trying to express to the Pharisees, that lost people matter to God. We should do everything we can to reach lost people. And when lost people are found, we should celebrate. This is the mission of our church, is, and it's the exact reason why we say people matter to God or lost people matter to God. It's because it is at the core of the heart of the Father that we do whatever we can short of sin to reach lost people because they matter to God. And when lost people are found, we celebrate. And if you don't believe me, you got to be here for our next baptism. It is a celebration time. And so, in this, he gets down to verse 25, and he begins to shift the story, though, because in the three parables, he's expressing the heart of God. But now in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15, he inserts the Pharisees into the story. You see, they are the older brother, and he's trying to help them gain some clarity on what God thinks about them and what God thinks about others. And there are five things I want to show you in this text that will help us have clarity on the heart of God and the heart of the Father. Here's the first thing I think is important for us to understand is that God is chasing after lost, found people. Uh, Luke 19 and, says, says, uh, 19 and 10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Here's what that text doesn't explicitly say, but it's for us to understand he's come to save those who know they are lost and those who don't know that they are lost. In verse 28 of this text, the son, the older brother who thinks he is found is in a lost condition. Yet the father leaves the party in order to reach the son who doesn't know he's lost. Can I tell you that proximity does not equal intimacy? That sometimes we feel like we're close, but we may not be in an intimate relationship with God. And as long as you have places in your life that have not been surrendered to God, he is always chasing you down. You know, it's one thing to see the lost brother who is out there in the streets doing all sorts of crazy things, but it's another thing to be in the house and not know the heart of the Father. This is the challenge of the lost brother, but the good news is that God does not discriminate between the one who is far and the one who is close. He is chasing after each person who needs to surrender to him. And this is what he does for the the brother, the older brother, and this is what he is expressing to the Pharisees, is that I've come for you too. I've come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where is God chasing us down to surrender to him? You know, Revelation, in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus says it like this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. Many of us have places that God is calling us to a deeper place of surrender. God is calling us to give that to him. The story of 
our biblical passage today, it was the anger over his brother that needed to be surrendered, that he was still lost. And for each and every one of us, we have places that God is calling us to surrender, to not just assume because we are close to God or close to his church that we are in intimate relationship with him. I think it's important for us to consistently check ourselves so that we are surrendering daily to the places that God desires for us to be. Uh, The second thing I think is important for us to understand is that God loves you for you and not what you do. Uh, This is something I struggled with mightily because I always assumed that my love or God's love for me was predicated on stuff that I did. And so um, I was reflecting the other day, I had lunch with um, my college roommate who lives in town after 10 years of separation. We now live in the same city. It's crazy. But we were having lunch together, and I was reflecting on that time. I had moved from Connecticut and down to the southeast in Tennessee, and what they didn't tell me, which I should have did my research, in Connecticut, you know, you got public transportation. And in Tennessee, you either need a vehicle or a horse, but everything is just far. And so when I got there, you know, I wanted to be a big man. I wanted to live um, off campus and all of those great things. And I remember working at this place called Zaxby's. It's probably why I don't wear khakis today, because I could still smell the chicken (laughs) off those khakis I wore. But I remember working at that Zaxby's, and I lived about three and a half miles away from the Zaxby's. And each day I had to walk home. I had to walk home from work. And sometimes it was raining. Sometimes the weather was bad. I had to walk on this little interstate thing to, to get to my house. And I was so frustrated. I said, God, why are you allowing me to suffer like that? Now, before y'all judge me, first world problems, and I am a millennial, so have grace. I said, God, why am I suffering like this? God, I love you. I serve you. How could I be going through these things? And I begin to think that maybe I was in sin or maybe I was in the wrong because bad things were happening to me. I need you to understand that your circumstance does not dictate God's love for you. That God loves you irregardless of what you are going through. And there is nothing you can do to earn God's love. It is already there. You cannot earn God's love. This is what Romans 5 and 8 says. But God showed his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Y'all, I need you to hear me. That you are loved because you are God's son, not for what you've done. That you are loved because you are his daughter, not for what you can offer. That even if other people have overlooked you or not shown love towards you, God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to dismiss it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Our opportunity is to just receive it. This is what he's trying to express to 
the older brother, and ultimately to the Pharisees. He begins to list off all the things he has done. He said, I've never disobeyed you. I've served you all these years. None of that earns God's love. And sometimes we think and we put litmus tests on what it means to receive God's love that God never puts on it. You are loved because you are created by him. You are loved just because he decides to love you and you can't earn it. And our works are not to earn God's love, but our works are an expression of our love towards him. 1 John 4 and 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Our actions are a response to receiving his love. It's not to earn his love. This is something that is vital and crucial for us to understand. In order to be in the place of freedom that God desires for us to be, we need to be clear on the fact that his love for us will never change and it will never end. He loves you, full stop, period. But there's more to the story. You see, there's another aspect of clarity that we needed to get to. Is that God will celebrate who you can become before you ever do. And God will celebrate what you can become before you ever become it. I, I love, well, love is a strong word there. I, it's interesting what the brother does here. He thinks he has the father in a difficult position. He frames out what he did, which was good and right and holy, but then he begins to list off all the bad things that the brother does. And, and notice that he separates himself from this brother. He says, and this son of yours, and you know, last time I checked, you know, the, the son of your father is your brother, but you know, things are crazy today, so I don't know if that's different now. But he says, this son of yours, he, he tries to put separation between the two. And this is what the Pharisees had always tried to do, that there are two different class of people. <laughs> And Jesus says, not so. And he wants to cause the brother to be labeled by his mistakes, labeled by his issues. This older brother is saying, how can you do that? He wasted this money. He, he was dealing with prostitutes. He was doing all these other things. In fact, y'all, um, in verse 13, there's a Greek word used there that's used in no other place in the New Testament to describe how crazy this younger brother was living. And he's saying, how can you celebrate that? It's because God does not judge you based on a bad part of your story. God does not judge you based on a bad chapter. God knows more than your history. He knows the rest of your story. 
And what God will do is just turn the page. Instead of judging you based on what you've done, God sees into your future and recognizes what you can become and knowing that if you would just turn, that he is waiting with open arms to celebrate you. And it does not cancel what you've done, but it does make what God will do in your life that much greater because he took you from here and brought you over here. And some of you, I know you look good today, but if you would just tell people what you've actually been through, and they see you now, they could say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, where would I be? You know, folks want you to get it all together before they celebrate you. They want you to have everything in the right place before they can welcome you in. Again, I tell you, God, in this text is showing that his heart is big enough to accept you while you are messy and play a part in cleaning you up. He is not afraid of the mess in your life. He's not afraid of the egg falling on his face if you relapse after celebrating. He's willing to embrace you and accept you where you are in order to make you into who he has called you to be. You are not defined by your worst moment. Your identity is found in who God calls you to be and what he says about you. We got to be careful not to embrace the lies that we hear but to receive the good news and the truth of what God is saying about us. Here's the fourth thing, is that there is room at God's table for anyone who believes. There's room at God's table for anyone who believes, and that believes is a turn and repent. It's not just information, it is action based on that information. There's room at God's table for anyone who believes. Here's a challenge for the older brother. It is not just he's disgusted by the actions of the younger brother. But underneath all of that, there is the challenge of where is my place if he is welcomed back What does that mean about me now that he is here? You know, we got two boys at home, uh, Mo and Mav, and it's been interesting to see this new dynamic. Um, uh, Our son Mo, he's our oldest. He was our only child for three years, and then uh, this young man named Mav shows up on the scene and interrupts his world. You know, we were loving on Maverick one day and just telling him how much we love him. And Mo was like, what about me? And I thought he was just being the three-nager that he is. But after he said it the third or fourth time, I recognized that this was an identity issue. He didn't know who he could be if the love that was normally only displayed towards him was shared with another. 
I stopped in that moment and I said, son, I love you. Nothing will change that. Thank you for making me a father. You will always be my favorite firstborn son. You know, he'll get that when he's older, but he smiled and embraced it. But some of you in this room need to hear that today. You will never stop being special to God. Even as God enlarges his table and that coworker you don't talk to at work shows up at your church, you don't stop being special to God. Even as God makes room in his house for more people, God still cares about you. And I know some of you are frustrated because you've been overlooked by people. You have been skipped over by others, but God has never taken his eyes off of you. He has a plan for your life. You will always be special to him, and there is always room at his table for you. This is what he says to the brother. All that I have is yours. You are always with me. What he is saying to him is you are not competing. You are helping. You are partnering with me in accomplishing my mission. Some of you have to gain some clarity on your identity in the kingdom. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. And God having more children doesn't change your place in the kingdom. God loves you with an everlasting love. He welcomes you into his family, knowing that he has a plan for your life. And here's the last thing we need clarity on, is that God invites us to share his heart. This is what he says to the older brother, and this is what he is saying to the Pharisees in that moment. It's that you know a piece of me, but you need to have clarity on what my heart is, what my mission is. He said, it is right for us to celebrate. And if I can paraphrase what he is saying, son, I need you to get this. Because this is what we are about. We have to celebrate this. This is the call God is making to us. He invites us to share his heart. And I tell you, we are most like God when we are welcoming people into his family. When we swing the doors open knowing that it is our, not our job to change people, it is not our job to create country clubs that look only like us. It is our job to swing the doors wide open and say, whosoever shall believe will be saved and you belong here. I won't change you, but Jesus Christ is a transformative force who will change you from the inside out. And let me tell you what he did in my life. There's room for you here. And y'all, when we have clarity on the Father's heart, we begin to live in a way that reflects that. Our relationships look different. 
our view of ourselves look different. Because clarity brings understanding. Now, I've got to understand that there are places in my life God is calling me to surrender. I, I need clarity on the fact that my righteousness is like filthy rags, but God loves me anyway. And nothing I can do can earn it. That God celebrates who I am becoming while I'm becoming it and doesn't wait until the finish line to cheer me on. That my identity is secure in Christ. And that I have an opportunity to share in God's heart. Share in his mission. If some of you in this room who are watching online, the next step for you is really to receive the love that God has shown. To be open to saying yes to him. I want you to know that God is not mad at you. That God loves you. He is standing there waiting for you to just turn. He is chasing you down. There are no limits on God's love. In fact, the song says it like this, that God's love is reckless. There was a cultural colloquialism that God is willing to risk it all for you. He desires to be in relationship with you, and today can be your day of transformation. There are some of you who are sitting in this room and you've already said yes to Jesus, but you feel lost. You need some clarity on the direction that God is taking you, what you are doing. You need to feel that love again. I want to pray with you today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day and this moment. Thank you for your word that has been shared and declared. Thank you for bringing us clarity. God, help us to understand that you are for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Help us to know, God, that you love us with an everlasting love. Help us to surrender to places in us that we haven't fully given over to you yet. God, allow us to release jealousy and recognize our identity in you. But ultimately, God, will you let us share your heart? Will you give us a heart that breaks for the things that breaks your heart? Will you give us a heart, God, that seeks after the things that you are seeking? God, for the person who has never said yes to you, I pray today would be that day. And if that's you, I want you to say this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, save me, change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. Forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. And God, for every person who is feeling lost, every person who is feeling rejected, every person who feels like they're on the outside looking in, I pray, God, that they would feel your reckless love surround them. I pray, God, that, Lord, you would tear down every wall of isolation, that you would pursue them, God, through every single storm, God, through every single trial. And, God, that we would be people that look like you, serve you, God. And ultimately, you will get the glory and the honor out of our lives 
lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.